Hey guys, welcome back to episode 17 of the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud Podcast Book 3. Today we'll be reading chapter 17, but first a recap of chapter 16. Kate leaped out the window of the room the children were trapped in by Mr. Curtin, and she tried to escape on her own to get help, but sadly she did not succeed, and Rennie was actually punished instead of her. From Kate's brief description of what she saw outside their room, Rennie and Sticky were able to narrow the places down to where they were being kept. Eventually, after some clever thinking, they figured out they were being kept at Third Island Prison. Rennie had a plan for Constance to tell Mr. Benedict through her mind where they were and for him to come and help them. SQ came to give the children some food and had a conversation with them that gave the children a little more information on what Mr. Curtin was doing. And finally, Constance had a weird dream vision, possibly from Mr. Benedict, but she's not completely sure. Okay guys, that's it for the summary. Enjoy the episode! Chapter 17 Stated Reasons and Sudden Insights As Constance slept, Sticky and Kate began discussing other ways to get out of their predicament, for neither of them had any confidence that Mr. Benedict had received Constance's message. Rennie still felt otherwise, however, and he continued to ponder what the strange image in her head could possibly have meant. He kept thinking he could make sense of it if he tried hard enough or thought about it in the right way, but it was no easy matter to find significance in silly disguises and S-shaped pies. For a long time, he paced along the far side of the room, turning out of the whispers of Sticky and Kate, who knew to leave him alone at times like these. Finally, though, taking a breath took Kilir's thoughts. Before trying again, he realized they were arguing. You have to do it, Sticky said. No way, Kate said empathetically. Just drop it, okay? What are you talking about? Rennie asked, coming over to them. Sticky looked at him beseechingly. You realize she could try again, don't you? Mr. Curtin thinks SQ left the door unlocked. No one realizes she got out through the window. That's true, said Rennie, surprised. Why didn't I think of that? But I'm not going to do it, and that's that, Kate said. But you know more this time, Sticky insisted. You could have a plan, and we could make a good distraction or something. For what, said Kate, waving him off. A chance to save my own skin and leave the rest of you to be punished? Maybe even brain-swept? And then live the rest of my life knowing I escaped when you couldn't? Forget it. Rennie quickly took Sticky's side in the argument, pointing out that she could try to contact Mr. Benedict and tell him where they were, but it did no good. Kate was adamant. We know now that we're a long way from anywhere, right? So it's a long shot at best. I might manage it in time, but then again, I might not. Look, Kate said, her expression softening. Don't think I'm not aware of what you're suggesting. You're both willing to risk some awful punishment just so I can get away. But I'm not willing to risk it, especially since our chances are better if we stick together. But you don't know that, Rennie protested. I keep messing up. I forget things. I don't think clearly. He cut himself off, biting his lip in frustration. Kate clucked her tongue. That's another thing, Rennie. You're being too hard on yourself. You can't think of everything all the time. No one can. I can't do any of this alone. Neither can Sticky and neither can you. You know that. Maybe you just forget it because you feel responsible. But you aren't responsible for all of us, you know. I mean, we're all responsible, right? Rennie looked away, feeling strangely embarrassed. I know that, of course, I know that. It isn't like I think I have to solve every problem. But even as he said it, he realized that he did. Anyway, he went on quickly, the point is you can't count on me to figure out a way out of this. You should make a break for it while you can. I didn't say I count on you to figure a way out, Kate said. Then she frowned. I guess it's true I usually do expect you to, which is my own way being too hard on you, isn't it? Sorry for that. But I'm not counting on you this time, I promise. I'm counting on us. 
Just because we don't have an answer right now doesn't mean we won't have one soon. So you can quit trying to get me to go, both of you. I'm through talking about this. Got it? Rennie and Stiggy had no good answer for this. At any rate, they both felt encouraged by Kate's speech. For wasn't she right? Didn't they always manage together? Got it, said Sticky. Got it, said Rennie. Good, said Kate, and all of them smiled. Rennie's mind had wandered from the problem of the image Constance had seen to the very real prospect of being brainswept by the Whisperer, something he had just been trying not hard to think about, and he had just arrived at the despairing thought that soon he might not recognize the faces of his friends, that these trying moments might well be the last ones the society ever spent together. It was hard to imagine, even harder to bear, so it was almost a relief when Constance's eyes sprang open and she sat up. Almost, but not quite. Crawlings is here, Constance said. Rennie shivered, unnerved by the feeling that some ghostly tinman was among them without their even knowing it. Kay and Stuggy, feeling much the same, stopped whispering and looked toward the door. For a long minute, no one spoke or moved. There was no footsteps and noises in the hall. Even Constance began to suspect she'd been wrong. But then the lock turned, the door inched open, and, like a turtle easing out of its shell, Crawling's pale beard head slowly poked in through the door. He wriggled his eyebrows and leered at the children. Oh, come now, kittens, don't stop whispering on my behalf. But that would be rude, Kate replied. We were whispering about you, after all, and I'm afraid we weren't saying very nice things. Crawling's doesn't care about rudeness, Constance said. Or doesn't he know that it's rude to listen in on people? Crawling snickered. Oh, yes, he said, sauntering into the room. That would be very rude indeed, but I don't quite count children as people, you see. It's true they rather resemble people, but then so do puppets. His brown wrinkled, and then he began fiddling with the chasp on his briefcase, as if considering whether to open it. Now what did I come in here to do? I'm trying to remember. Let us go, Sticky ventured weakly, his eyes fixed on the briefcase. Crawley's pretended to consider this. No, no, I don't believe it was that, he said. He tapped his chin with his long, spidery fingers. Something to do with my briefcase, maybe? The children watched him in silence. Crawlings was clearly toying with them, but still their nerves stole an end as they waited. He went so far as opening his briefcase and peeking at them to observe the response. They only stared at him blankly, however, and looking faintly disappointed that they hadn't whimpered or begged for mercy, he closed it again and snapped his fingers. I have it. I'm to bring you to Mr. Curtin's workspace for a quick word. Emphasis on quick. He's very busy. So chop, chop, little puppets, let's hurry along. And like a loving father, Crawlings grabbed Kate by the hand and swung it painfully back and forth between them. I believe I'll keep you close, my dear. The rest of you may walk in front of us. They had hardly taken two steps before Crawlings stopped, released Kate's hand, and flexed his fingers with a troubled expression. I'm impressed with your grip, Katie Kins, but you better stop squeezing so hard or mean old Crawlings may have to squeeze back. Kate looked at him innocently. But I wasn't squeezing hard, she said, batting her eyelashes. Crawlings narrowed his eyes and took her hand again, telling the others which direction to go. They proceeded down a long corridor and into an elevator. Mr. Curtin put you as far away from him as possible, Crawlings explained, as the elevator descended. He has so much work to do and children can be so noisy, you know, though I suppose you didn't notice this yourself. We're more bothered by smells, Constance said, holding her nose from the close confines of the elevator. Crawlings' kung alone was almost overpowering. Crawlings grunted and muttered something about inferior sensibilities. When the elevator door stood open, he leaned out and whispered to someone in the corridor, Is he ready for them? He was, came the whisper reply, but you were late, so now he's speaking to McCracken. Rennie perked up his ears at this. Sure enough, he could just make out Mr. Curtin's voice in the background.
You're to go in the instant they're finished talking. Am I really late? Crawlings asked, checking on one of his watches. He frowned and checked the other one, looking concerned. Perhaps now he regretted the time he'd wasted intimidating the children. Did you at least fetch his juice from the basement? Whispered the other ten men. He called for it again. Crawlings' eyebrow rose in dismay. I'll go right now and bring them back. His eyes shot over to Rennie, who had abruptly began pressing the elevator buttons for all the higher floors, including one for the roof. With an angry cry, he slapped Rennie's hand away from the panel. You little fool! What are you doing? Rubbing his stinging hand, Rennie stepped away and averted his eyes. Crawlings gritted his teeth. We'll settle this later, he hissed. Get out, all of you. As the children fought out, he whispered down the corridor to the other ten men. I'm taking the stairs. Keep an eye on the urchins, will you? Send the men if he finishes with McCracken. Crawlings or sport, you know it isn't my job to. But Crawlings was already scuttling off and pretended not to hear. The other ten men sighed and regarded the children from his post outside an open doorway. He was unfamiliar to see them, a slight, swarthy man in a dapper, sexier suit. With a bandage on his forehead that Kay suspected was a result of the flashlight she had thrown outside Mr. Benedict's house. In the darkness, she hadn't gotten a good look at the man she'd hit. If they hadn't known he was a tinman, they might have thought he was kind. So gentle was his expression, and so friendly the smile he leveled at them. He was holding a newspaper, working the crossword puzzle with an expensive-looking gold pen. Laying the pen to his lips, he indicated that they should wait quietly where they were. They nodded and stood perfectly still, all the better to listen, for this was exactly why Rennie had pressed those buttons, and the others knew it. From here they could hear Mr. Curtin and McCracken, and they had accompanied Crawlings to the basement, they would have missed their chance to eavesdrop. Mr. Curtin's voice emanated from a doorway just beyond the one the ten men appeared to be guarding, but even from this distance his tone of satisfaction was unmistakable. Here within the hour, can you imagine that, McCracken? Has it ever occurred to you to fulfill my orders exactly on time? Oh, how rare. I'm very pleased. I cherish expedience, you know. As do I, said McCracken. And in this case, it is a benefit, no doubt, of your associates not having to engage with government agents. Such challenging tasks as that you leave to my men and me. Mr. Curtin screeched, or rather laughed, and said, Try not to be defensive, McCracken. Or are you simply aggering for a greater compensation? I believe I pay you handsomely enough. Now here's what I expect. You will post all of your men in the two fortmost guard towers. From there, they shall be in perfect position to rain down destruction, should anything not go as expected. Do you agree? Certainly. You expect treachery, then? Of course not. I said should anything not go as expected. Didn't I? I am careful, McCracken. You should know that by now. Indeed I do, said McCracken. So careful, in fact, that you've never revealed to me the identities of these friends you are expecting. Don't mistake my meaning. I admire your caution. But do tell me how I'm to know whether I admit them. I assume there's a password. I was getting to that, McCracken, because Mr. Curtin said it irritably. Yes, there will be a password. But you'll see that I am cautious even with that. When the van arrives, you must radio me from the gate and describe the driver. I shall then give you a question to ask, and you may relay the response you're given. If it is correct, you'll open the gate. If not, if not, we'll set about earning our pay, said McCracken. Now may I make one suggestion? I have more than enough men to handle any complications at the gate. Allow me to leave one in the building with you, just as an added precaution. There was a pause. I sense there is something more to your suggestion than you were letting on, McCracken. Tell me what it is. To be frank, sir, I do not entirely trust your assistant. I know he is loyal to you, and you must think so yourself, having kept him for so long. But he seems to have a soft spot for our young prisoners, and I worry he may try to help them somehow. I see, Mr. Grinson, in an icy tone. 
You disapprove of my choice in assistance? Very well, McCracken, I shall deploy SQ to the gate with you and your men, and you may leave behind whomever you wish, your own choice in associates being so impeccable. When McCracken shrewdly chose not to reply to this, Mr. Kern snapped. Take Crawlings, for instance. Give him two simple tasks, and he accomplishes neither on time. And raising his voice, he called out, I don't suppose Crawlings is here yet, is he, Hurts? He's gone for the juice, answered the ten men in the corridor, with a wink at the children. But the shrubs are here when you're ready for them. I am beyond ready. Send them in. Hertz lifted his newspaper and waved the children down the corridor. As they passed the room he was guarding, they caught a glimpse of the whisperer in the corner, surrounded by various tools and parts. On a shelf above it sat a familiar red bucket. Kate hesitated only a moment to gaze at it, but in that moment Hertz took his pen and flicked her on the head so cruelly that her ears rang. She moved on, glowering at him over her shoulder. She could feel a knot rising in, but refused to put her hand to it. Hertz smiled cheerfully at her, tapping the gold pin against his bright white teeth. "'You okay?' Stiggy whispered. "'It sounded like he hit you with a lead pipe.' "'Felt like it, too,' Kate whispered back, and though her head was throbbing, she added, "'I'm fine. A little pain never hurt anybody, did it?' Stiggy looked at her in askance. "'Um, actually,' he began, but Kate quieted him with a wink. They found Mr. Curtin in a large, oval-shaped room, sitting in his wheelchair with his back to them. The walls of the room were lined with computers, and on four separate monitors arrayed against the far wall, dense blocks of com complex computer code steamed endlessly past. "'Keep an eye on our guests, McCracken,' said Mr. Curtin, whose own eyes were fixed intently on the screens. "'Bludgeon anyone who touches anything but the floor.' McCracken, standing off to the side, chuckled, happy to oblige. "'I am making final preparations, children,' Mr. Curtin said, still watching the monitors. "'Make certain that all is in order. This includes you.' Later today, you will be allowed to speak with your beloved Mr. Benedict by radio. He will no doubt ask you questions, and you are to be prompt and truthful in your replies. If you do this, you shall see him shortly thereafter. If not, you will be punished severely. I tell you this now so that you may prepare yourselves. I will not allow any childish nervousness or desperation to create wrinkles in an otherwise smooth operation. I would dislike it extremely, for instance, if in a panic you lied to Benedict or attempted to tell him something that might disrupt my plans. I assure you such action would be fruitless, and it would be a shame, would it not, to suffer the painful consequences or disobedience for no reason? He paused. You may answer. For all we know, Rennie said, obedience will bring painful consequences too. What assurances can you give us that it won't? Mr. Kern cackled. None. You shall have to take my word for it. But what else do you have? Tell me that. He cackled again, his shoulders shaking. He was evidently in a wonderful mood. I do give you my word, however. If you do as I say, you will soon be reminded with your dear Benedict. I am telling the truth, am I not, Miss Contraire? I recall you have a gift for divining such things. It wasn't lost on many that Mr. Kernan made no mention of actually letting them go three, and Constance at any rate refused to follow Mr. Curtin's lead. I'm even better at divining dumbness, she retorted. You really think Mr. Benedict would give you what you want? At this, Mr. Curran's shoulders stiffened. But after a short pause, they relaxed again, and he said evenly, "'For you and your friends, Miss Contraire, I believe he'll do whatever is necessary. He clearly prizes his little club of admirers above all else. Without you, no doubt, he feels he is nothing. For that is the sort of weak person he is. Let me ask you, then, how could I possibly care about such a person if everything else, anything else, is in my control? Benedict and his followers are mosquito bites, scarcely worth the scratching.' When I have what I desire, I shall gladly be rid of you. You may go off and do whatever silly little things you wish. It will be of no consequence to me. Because you think you'll be ruling the world, Kate asked contentiously. Just like last time? 
Mr. Kern's wheelchair bucked and spun about, and he glared at her with such fury that even Kate could not help but shrink away. Then his eyes closed and his chin dropped to his chest. Don't move, ordered McCracken in a wary tone, as if they had blundered into a den of hibernating grizzlies. For that matter, don't speak, and if you value your little legs, don't smile or smirk or any such thing. I would prefer not to have to drag you out afterward. I've had to drag out more than my share of men who smiled at moments like this. It's inconvenient, to say the least, and I have a great deal to do. The children held still and waited. One minute passed, then two. Then Mr. Curtin jerked, snorted, and raised his head. For a moment his expression was one of unmistakable embarrassment, and his eyes darted from face to face, addressing the mood of everyone present. The embarrassment was swiftly overcome by anger. His eyes flashed dangerously, his hands trembled, but with an effort he suppressed it by lifting his gaze to the ceiling, lacing his fingers together, and taking several deep breaths. Finally, Mr. Curtin checked his watch and glanced over his shoulders at the still-scrolling computer code on the monitors. "'Stop scrolling,' he snapped, and the code stopped scrolling. "'Go back 127 lines.' The code began scrolling in the opposite direction, and Mr. Curtin turned back to the children and looked at them coldly. "'Your impertinent often surprises me, Miss Weatherall, but I am resolved not to let it happen again. As for your question about ruling the world?' He waved his head dismissively. For the moment, I shall be content to run this country. The world will follow soon enough. Kate nodded in mock approval. Baby steps, she said. That's always best. Mr. Curtin's eye twitched and his lips pressed together into a line. So what will you do, Constance demanded. Knock out the power in every city until everyone comes begging for your help? Why not just take everything over? Why do you have to be thanked for it, too? At this point, Rennie broke into a terrible fit of coughing, forcing himself to hack so violently his eyes watered. He was sure Constance had touched a dangerous nerve. Mr. Curtin's stricken expression confirmed it, and anxious to draw attention away from her, he croaked. I think what we're wondering, Mr. Curtin, is why you want things to seem somewhat they aren't. You're a genius, everyone knows that. So why not devote yourself toward actually making things better? Mr. Curtin had regained his composure now. Rennie had done his best to give him the opportunity. And in a consenting tone, he said, Your question betrays your naivety, Renard. Making things seem in a way they aren't is making them better. But it's just an illusion, Sticky blurted out. Then he clapped his hands over his mouth. Luckily, Mr. Curtin seemed more amused than perturbed. You must understand something, George. The world's leaders create catastrophic keys and resolve them, all their own wisdomcy, every single day. It is how the world runs. Lacking anything else to believe in, common people need to believe in their leaders' abilities to save them. It's true. Their emotional well-being, and yes, their fate, depends on the intelligence and skill of those who manipulate the day's disasters. And it should go without saying that the one who succeeds in taking the reins of leadership, by whatever that means, is the most intelligent and skillful and therefore most qualified to lead. Noting the children's dubious looks, Mr. Kern shrugged in resigned manner. In your simplicity, you often mistake my motives, I'm afraid. I do not dislike people. I only mean to control them. For I cannot stand seeing the complex business of the world being so badly mishandled. I am a perfectionist. I cannot help it. In the end, everyone shall benefit from my incantations, with rare exception of individuals such as yourselves, who are perennially dissatisfied. And you're perennially boring, said Constance, who wasn't sure what perennially meant, but felt sure it applied. I think you just want people to call you a hero, and this is the only way you could figure out how to do it. Again, Mr. Curtin pressed his lips together. What you think hardly matters, Miss Contraire. In truth, I have no idea why I waste my time trying to enlighten such foolish creatures. I must have a soft spot for those doomed to fail. McCracken, take them away and send in crawlings. I spy him lurking in the corridor there. As you wish, McCracken, herding the children toward the door. 
And when shall I dispatch my men to the positions we discussed? Mr. Curtin checked his watch. The van should exit the highway in 30 minutes, and the approach along the access road takes precisely five. Just be sure your men are in position when the van arrives at the gate. In the meantime, tell Hertz I need his assistance in moving the whisperer. He's afraid to touch you, you know, said McCracken with a grin. Precisely why I'm choosing him. He won't paw it unnecessarily. McCracken acknowledged this with a nod, and in the corridor he drew Crawlings briefly aside. They spoke in hushed tones, and the children heard enough to deduce that Crawlings was the tenman McCracken intended to leave behind. Perhaps this choice was meant to be a barb flung at Mr. Curtin. Perhaps it was simply reflected some private strategic consideration. Regardless, Rennie knew it was a terrible choice for him and his friends. Collins would surely take the first opportunity to punish them for what Rennie had done in the elevator. I have a bad feelings about crawling, Sticker whispered. Me too, Kate whispered back, but I think that will change. Really? Oh yes, Kate whispered. I'm pretty sure it will get worse. Alone in their third floor room, the society quickly gathered in a circle to discuss their next step. Kate suggested to figure out a way to pass the information to Mr. Benedict when they spoke on the radio. In case he didn't get Constance's message, she said, we can come up with a code of some kind, something he will only be able to understand. That's awfully risky, Sticky said. Mr. Curtin will be looking out for just a sort of thing. I know, but we don't want to help him, do we? Mr. Benedict is smart, Sticky said. Maybe he can find a way to rescue us, even if we just go along with Mr. Curtin. His biggest concern is going to be our safety, Rainy said. He'll sacrifice himself if he has to, you know he will. Of course he will, Constance said angrily, and tears started to her eyes. But it won't do any good. Mr. Curtin doesn't intend to let us go. He never did and he never will. Oh, I don't want to be brain-swept. I like remembering who I am and who my friends are and... and... She clenched her fists, clamped her mouth shut, and uttered a strange sort of internal scream that sounded like a whale song. Easy, Connie girl, Kate soothed. I'm afraid you'll pop. I'm not really excited about getting brain-swept either, Stuggy said in a low tone. I just hope our families get away. A gloomy silence fell over them. It seemed impossible to Rennie that this was really happening. But the facts insisted upon themselves. Mr. Curtin had the whisperer and the children, and no one was ever going to know. And things were only going to get worse from here, for weren't Mr. Curtin's spies bringing him what he wanted at that very moment? As if Rennie had spoken this aloud, Constance scowled and muttered. McCracken called them his friends in government. Ha! Why don't they call them what they are? Nasty, weaselly old spies. Who else will be his friends, said Kate? Thugs, thieves, and spies. That's his crowd, isn't it? Spies, when he murmured, his brow wrinkling. Constance glanced at him and stared at him. And then her eyebrows shot up at exactly the same time as Rennie's did, and she cried, Oh, spies! Fake mustaches and trench coats, Rennie exclaimed. Those S-shaped pies! Kate and Sticky gasped. S-pies! Constance said, and she was suddenly so delighted, she clasped her hands. So we did get my message, and he answered me. He told me their plan. Rennie jumped up and started to pace. I think he was trying to give you the details, Constance, but the words didn't come through as well. But he also sent you that coded image. And that was the only thing that came through clearly, Constance said, nodding excitedly. It's right. It feels right. And that comforting feeling? He was trying to tell me everything was going to be fine, and that he had a plan, and they were coming to rescue us. He used the information you gave him to hatch his plan, Rennie said. They must have waylaid the real spies somehow, and they're coming in their place. Milligan's going to be busy, Kate said with a hint of nervousness. There's a bunch of ten men, but at least he'll be taking them a surprise. He always says that's the most important thing with them. And once he's inside... Oh no, she sprang to her feet. The password! The question Mr. Curtin's going to ask them. They won't know the answer. 
They'll be attacked before they can even get through the gate, Sticky said, and he covered his face as if he couldn't bear to look, as if he were already witnessing what was about to happen. They won't have a chance. Rennie started to speak, then seeing Constance's eyes squeezed shut and her hands over her ears. He froze and kept quiet. Sticky and Kate noticed too, and silently the three of them watched her, trying to be hopeful. But when Constance opened her eyes again, she still looked very much alarmed. I tried to warn him, and I, I'm pretty sure he heard me, but they're still coming, and they're still going to try. Are you sure? Sticky asked. Well, I didn't get words, just sort of feeling, but no, I'm sure of it. They're going to risk it for our sake. Oh, no, oh, no. Her lips began to tremble, and she closed her eyes again, this time to stop herself from crying. It's a pretty desperate gamble, Sticky said grimly. They must think it's their only chance to save us, Rennie said. But there's just no way, Kate cried. They'll be in the worst possible position. Forget about us. Who will save them? There was a long, heavy pause. And then in the back of Rennie's mind, a gear began to turn. And then another. And then he looked around to his friends and said, It'll have to be us. Stiggy blinked. You, you realize that we're in prisoners, right? That we were counting on them to save us? That's step two, Rennie said. Step one is getting them inside. Kate was starting to smile. Wait. Are you saying we have a, to save them so they can save us? That's exactly what he means, said Constance, peering at Rennie's face. Kate laughed and clapped her hands together. I love it. So where do we start? Where do you think? Rennie said, his eyes flashing. We escape. Mm-hmm.